Today on CityCast Denver. How do you responsibly tell the histories of Coloradans, especially when it hasn't always been done so carefully in the past? It really is just deep, deep listening. History Colorado has a new executive director, and she plans to continue this work of telling a fuller, more inclusive state history. We have developed this incredible strategic plan that thinks about all of the many, many ways in which history can be brought to the people of Colorado or co-created with the people of Colorado. Today is Thursday, July 15th, 2021. I'm Alexandra McMahon, and this is CityCast Denver. How about some news? More rain predicted today with a high of 87. Denver School Board member Tay Anderson announced yesterday that after a leave of absence brought on by sexual assault accusations, he's returning to work. Trouble for Anderson started back in March when the activist organization BLM 5280 said that one of their members was sexually assaulted by the school board member. A couple months after that, a woman testified at the state legislature saying she was aware of 60-plus girls who had been sexually assaulted by a predator in Denver public schools, and many people drew lines back to Anderson. An investigation has been ongoing since March and continues despite Anderson's return to daily duties. All right, I have a confession to make. In Tuesday's show, I joked that no Rockies players were in the All-Star game. Huge oversight on my part because, yes, our very own Herman Marquez pitched for the National League team, and he had a hell of a game. In the fourth, he pitched a 1-2-3 inning. Marquez is only the eighth player in Rockies history to make the All-Star game rosters, so I sincerely apologize for leaving him out. Although, maybe he listened to the show and was like, screw that, I'm going to play so good they can't ignore me, even if they tried. Maybe I helped. Who knows? On November 29th, 1864, Colonel John Shivington ordered his ragtag group of drunks and louts, all volunteers he had rounded up in Denver, to attack a Cheyenne and Arapaho camp on the banks of Sand Creek in southeastern Colorado. They killed hundreds of people, mostly women and children. 157 years later, our leading historical institution is still trying to tell that story right. They tried in 2013, but the exhibit was met with public outcry for not consulting with the tribes and the victims' descendants. They took it down after 45 days. But History Colorado has undergone a lot of changes in the last eight years, and will try again with a new Sand Creek Massacre exhibit next year. That project, but also all of History Colorado's public history telling and research, is now under the guidance of Dawn DePrince, the organization's new executive director. Should I put them in my phone or in my computer? Computer would be great. Dawn's been with History Colorado for about a decade, working in various roles, and she takes the helm September 1st. I wanted to chat with her about History Colorado's past, present, and future. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining us on CityCast Denver. Uh, thank you, Zandra. So I want to start with some History Colorado fun facts, if you will. Uh, I know that it operates the oldest museum in Colorado, and the organization began in 1879. 
So I'm curious, how do you think the way we tell the state's history has changed in the last 142 years? Not a, not a big question at all, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the, you know, History Colorado, originally known as the State Historical Society, is just three years younger than the state of Colorado itself. It was definitely formed as a way to um, build out this narrative of, of what Colorado is and who Colorado includes. And it certainly had a singular focus around this kind of frontier ideal, claiming that territory included this kind of story and and history and laying claim to the space. And so I think that was a lot of the original ideals around the formation of the State Historical Society. When you take over in September, what are some of your top priorities for History Colorado? Part of the last few years, we have developed this incredible strategic plan that thinks about all of the many, many ways in which history can be brought to the people of Colorado or co-created with the people of Colorado. And of course, we had this giant hiccup of a last year where we had to figure out how to do that in, in times of crisis. And As we are hopefully emerging from our pandemic state of things, we hope to be really pushing the gas pedal on some of those visions from the strategic plan, which include incredible programs like our Hands-On History program, which helps meet the needs of working families who live in communities with a four-day school week. Over 60% of Colorado school districts only have school four days a week. Our hands-on history program strives to meet the needs of families of what are you going to do with your kid on that fifth day of the week with really great, fun, interactive history education. One of the things that we do in our role is serve as stewards of the the state's uh, historical collection. We want to make sure that that collection really represents the rich, rich diversity that is Colorado. Yeah. And on that uh, diversity, equity and inclusion note, you know, reflecting on the events of last summer and and the protests sparked by George Floyd's murder, I'm wondering what kinds of conversations were happening at History Colorado as it reflected on its own track record of DEI, you know, not just within the organization, but also like those stories that you tell. Yeah. So we had a really incredible internal um, process that happened last summer. You know, we we acknowledged that we had some really great work that was pushing forward in ways that were creating a more inclusive history. But we wanted to not have that in bits and pieces and in nooks and crannies of the organization. We wanted to centralize that spirit and vision and, and those practices So the staff of the organization came together in early June, and we co-authored our anti-racism guiding values. This is a document that's on our website. We're happy to share with anyone. And it really spells out how we as an institution are prioritizing this work. And it lays that foundation that then enables anyone on our teams across the state to, to take up this mantle and develop programs and think about how they can do their work uh, with this sort of lens. It's been really powerful. We actually just had a an all-hands staff meeting where we got like the one-year update on how this uh, 
work has been going. There's been some changes to how we uh, manage our state historical fund grant, making sure that we're centering the benefits to BIPOC communities in those grants. We did a really uh, thoughtful, community-centered digitization of long-held KKK ledger records um, so that we could you know, really invite the public into this examination of this kind of evidence in in our state. So those are the kinds of things that really are tangible evidence of of how these values are showing up in, in the institutional work. Well, and I'm also reminded, I know that the 2012 exhibit of the Sand Creek Massacre had some controversy around it. And I know it was taken down just after 45 days because there was a lot of uh, public outcry about how it was presenting that history. And I know there's a there's a recently funded upcoming Sand Creek Massacre exhibit. Can you tell me what History Colorado learned from that and how this new exhibit is going to be different? You know, we have some team members who have worked really carefully, diligently, patiently, just taking care of those relationships with our tribal partners who who really carry the story We have spent the last seven, eight years building those relationships, and that is the foundation for uh, building this exhibit, which we hope will open next November, November of 2022. And I'm not leading this process, but I've witnessed it. And what you see is is just a very careful, thoughtful, good listening (laughs) happening that I think will lay the foundations for a monumental and important exhibit. Yeah, I'm so curious how those conversations work. Like, how do you ensure that they're being listened to? When you are working on an exhibit and you've got deadlines and deliverables and those sorts of things, there can be a temptation to to rush. We have made the conscious decision to move at the speed in which our partners uh, would like to move. There have been all sorts of ways of um, being present not just asking them to come and consult on our work, but being present at things that are important to them. Uh, we have things in our collection that they have been able to to help us build understanding. And, you know, it really is just deep, deep listening. Co-authorship is often the way we think about this work. And and at the root of author, right, author is the root of the word authority. So it really is about letting go sometimes as our like institutional authority and and um, giving that space to, to whoever our community uh, consultants may be. Looking back on the organization's history of exhibits, you know, do you feel like there's a story that still needs to be told in Colorado's history or like something that you're really passionate about that you want uh, History Colorado to take up? So I think there are millions of stories that still have (laughs) yet to be told. Um, You know, there's always this idea, and I think we probably all felt this in school, this kind of like this feeling of this like high history, you know, these big dates and big people. And I think that oftentimes when we approach history in that way, like some people that's super appealing to, but for all the rest of us that can feel like this doesn't really represent me or this isn't really about me. And I think there's like millions of untold stories and beautiful chapters and traumatic chapters of history that have yet to be told. 
we are able to reveal things that that just aren't part of our current context. Um, one really powerful project we have just started beginning the long journey on is around this history of Indigenous captivity in Southern Colorado. We just actually opened an art installation by nationally known artist Jet Sonorama at our Fort Garland Museum that, that just is the beginning of looking at some of the evidence that we currently have of this practice. But that was also done alongside memory workshops with descendants of this history. And we are just beginning to build this more public-facing knowledge around this. This is certainly something people know because this is their familial history. They've carried this in their hearts through generations, through family trees. But we think there's an important space for us to acknowledge that this practice occurred in this more public history realm. And so we are spending the time to be good listeners and, and figure out how we can build more knowledge um, so we can acknowledge this chapter of our past. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining us on CityCast Denver. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Also, if you'd like to really help us and simultaneously get a chance to win 100 bucks, there's a listener survey in the show notes. Any feedback is greatly appreciated. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. And thanks for listening. I am recording through the right microphone.